Well, today we continue our series in Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope, and it's the finished project. It's not the finish of the series, but it is the finish of the wall. So we're going to be looking in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15. So we're going to finish out chapter 6, and then we're going to jump into chapter 7. I encourage you, if you have Bibles today, open them up, whether those are digital or uh, old-fashioned way. Nehemiah, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now... When the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors." Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. No houses had been rebuilt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak through your word to us today. We know that it was written thousands of years ago in the context to Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And yet we also believe, we proclaim, that your word is eternal and that your spirit works through it. Father, teach us truths today. May your word and your word alone be heard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here are our three points for today. We're going to look at, not again, an awesome God, and oh, my favorite, Presbyterian leadership. I'm not kidding. If, uh, if I get going too long, Ken, on Presbyterian leadership, you give me the nod, okay? All right, so first of all, not again. Now, you remember the three evil musketeers? You've been following along? Sambalat, Geshem. Tobiah, remember those guys? Their strongest moment together when they were the most threatening was back in chapter 4, verse 8, when they, quote, plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Remember, that was when they were picking up arms. They were saying, rallying the countryside, the surrounding people who didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt, who didn't want the kingdom of God to break forth. And so they said, let's physically go and attack it. That was their strongest moment. Last Sunday, in the very first part of this chapter, chapter 6, all the way down to where we are today, 
They were an echo of their former power. And they attempted to form a conspiracy by promoting a falsehood about Nehemiah and his true purposes. But at the end of the day, they were merely a distraction. You know, it's funny, after all those 14 verses of effort, we spent a whole sermon on it last week talking about, wow, look at, look at them doing all this. Verse 15 says basically this, so the wall was finished, right? So in any way, that's great. The wall was finished. In other words, all their united efforts of attempting to take down the building of the kingdom of God, the city of Jerusalem, were nothing more than a blip on the radar. You've heard that Charlie Brown person before? Wah, 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 wah. Right? That's how they are. Wah, 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 wah. So the wall was finished. Great. Now the enemy is relentless. And so now, in this chapter, or the end of this chapter with Tobiah, is an even weaker echo of their power. Tobiah was most likely a fellow Jew. And at least on the surface, was a believer of Yahweh. From the text here, and actually we jump forward in Nehemiah and look around a little bit, it seems like this particular evil musketeer was a wealthy, influential businessman with deep ties in the community. Look at verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah, nobles of Judah, sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. He's got a lot of connections with important people. The nobles of Judah, the core leaders, and they are sending letters and notes all around to each other. Now they've given up on sending letters to those in authority and power to remove Nehemiah like they did last time. This time they have embarked on a whispering campaign amongst themselves for the same purposes. If those in charge, the Persians won't remove Nehemiah and stop all this rising up and building, then maybe those with deep roots and powers in this community can do so. Look at verse 18. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. That bound by oath is indicative of business contracts, trade agreements. We keep going. Now listen, you don't recognize these names, but those people did. These were the big names. Can you hear him flexing? He was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. We don't know those names. They knew those names. Later in Nehemiah chapter 13, this is a really interesting insight. Later in Nehemiah 13, chapter 13, you don't need to jump there, we'll get there one day. Verses 4 through 5. Basically, in in chapter 13, verse 4 through 5, it recounts the status quo before Nehemiah arrived on the scene. And it talks about this guy, uh, Eliashib. Do you remember Eliashib? He's the high priest. And Tobiah. Here's what it says, verse 4. Eliashib, the priest, is the high priest of the kingdom of God. He was appointed. He has control over the chambers of the house of our God. And, guess who who was related to Tobiah? And this is what he did. He prepared for, does this sound like a good old-fashioned deal? He prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, 
singers and gatekeepers and contributions for the priests. And in other words, Tobiah persuaded, because he's related and he's got deep ties in the community, business ties, money ties. He persuaded the high priest to lease him the storerooms of the temple so that he could conduct business in the newly constructed temple. By the way, if there's one thing that would cause Jesus to lose it and to flip tables like Teresa Judice, it is turning the temple of God, his house, his worship into a business. Stop there. Point number two, awesome God. You'll never guess what happened next. This strategy of Tobiah worked, right? Nehemiah was stopped in his tracks. The walls crumbled and the evil three musketeers prevailed. Nonsense. Good always wins. We know that as the people of God. Everyone knows that an essential characteristic of storytelling is conflict, darkness, and God is a master class author. God takes what was intended for evil and he flips it and reverses it back on the head of Tobiah. Now there's a lot of talk of fear in these pages. Again, back in chapter 4, at the height of their efforts, when they planned to come against the city in arms, Nehemiah rallies the people in chapter 4, verse 14. He says this, Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. This is for us today. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Last week, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. This is their goal, right? They all wanted to frighten us. Today, verse 19. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. What happened? Instead of Israel being afraid, the Lord takes what they meant for evil and he turns it back to good. And a great reversal, literarily and literally. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, when they heard of what? When they heard that the wall had been completed, all the nations around us were what? Afraid. Lifted on them. And they fell greatly in their own esteem. At some point, the people that had been gathered together, they went around and got all the nations together and brought them there to oppose the building of God's kingdom, realized that something is going on here. And they begin to fear. Better translation for that word may be, they begin to be in awe of this awesome God that Nehemiah and us today serve. The people gathered from amongst the nations to oppose the rebuilding of Jerusalem actually begin to believe that Yahweh is with his people. Talk about a plot twist. This whole journey has been riddled with issues from beginning to end, and yet somehow, I don't know, somehow, in record time, 52 days, everything falls into place. And only the most stubborn of hearts refuse to see that it's not Nehemiah. It is God at work. A God worthy of awe and wonder. Nehemiah said back 
He said this back in chapter 4, 14. Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember that? And then he said, remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. And then you know what he said? Fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. How can it be both at the same time? How can it be the work of the people and the work of God at the same time? This is one of those mysteries where we got to get out of our heads, get in our hearts, and trust our Lord. It is God at work, and He, oh, Lord knows for His own reasons, works through flawed people. There's a taste of this for further reading in Acts chapter 27, one of my favorite stories. When Paul is on a ship that is about to be wrecked and broken up in a storm. You know that story? They're on a ship. Paul, I think he's a prisoner being taken away and the weather's not great. And so Paul rallies the people. Does that sound like Nehemiah a little? He rallies the people on the ship. And this is what he says. Again, Acts 27, verse 22. Here's what Paul says. I urge you to take, to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you. This is Paul. You can believe him. Only the ship. Say bye to the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul has a vision from the Lord his God that this will come to pass. And then just a, listen to this, and just a few verses later, you know what's going on? That ship is, is breaking up. Not everybody has the heart to listen to Paul. These are unbelievers, right? And so the experienced crew, those sailors, those salty sailors who know what's going on, guess what they try to do? Abandon ship. And you know what Paul says? And it sounds completely contradictory to what he just said to us. He just told us, the Lord, our, my God, through an angel, has told me I'm going to be safe, all of us. But then he says this, as they're trying to abandon ship. Unless these men, sorry, I'm not pointing at you. Unless these men, the, the experienced sailors, right? There's wisdom in that. Unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Well, which is it, Paul? Is God going to save the ship from breaking up? Or do these experienced sailors have to rise up and use their skills to guide the ship to safety? It's both. Get out of your head and get in your heart. Verse 16. This is back to Nehemiah, right? And when all our enemies heard of it, that the wall was completed, when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Is it that God will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem or that the people must rise up and build? It's both. Is it that God will see his name proclaimed and his kingdom come here in Kent, Washington? 
or must God's people rise up and build? It's both. God is in it. But he doesn't want to work just through faithful, prayerful Nehemiah. He will use his people. And as we said earlier in the series, not because they are the most skilled, but because they fear the Lord. He will use those who believe in all their heart that they serve an awesome God. Nehemiah 7 leads us right into the next section. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 2. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Nehemiah shares the burden of leadership and sets up, note, note those two characteristics, faithful and God-fearing men over Jerusalem. He puts them in charge, right? Uh, here's my favorite part. Ken, you got me? We're in a Presbyterian church. I'm going to make fun of Presbyterians from time to time. I make fun of my family from time to time. That said, you're my family. Ooh, I'm Presbyterian. Okay, I'm getting out of control. Hold on. Do you know what the word Presbyterian means? It means elders, basically, right? Presbyteros. We are elder-led. We, uh, this is based on two strong Reformed theological convictions. One is called total depravity which means deep, deep, deep down inside we're broken and fallen, right? You know this from everyday life, right? Power corrupts. Power, PowerPoint corrupts absolutely, right? Sorry, that's a dad joke. In fact, the United States government, flawed though it may be, the three, we have three offices, right? Three branches of government. I hope there's not a government teacher out there right now. But that system is based off of some fine Presbyterians who a long time ago said, listen, power corrupts. You have to have a system of checks and balances in place. Our, our system of government as Presbyterians is based on, not the United States government, right? It's based on the government of the Old Testament. You know the three offices in the Old Testament, what they were? They were prophet. You know those prophets can't keep their mouths shut. Priests, you know the priests, we just talked about Eliashib, and kings, you know the king, Solomon, David, Saul. I'm going to read this from the book of order. Oh, I feel so decent today. The book of order says this. So anyway, these are the three offices in the Old Testament, right? You got it? Prophet, priest, and king. Those, that's the theological foundation that we base our government on. Uh, of the church here. In any, basically anyone who's Presbyterian. I'd say almost say anyone who's Reformed, but I don't want to go that far. So here they are. The pastors who are called teaching elders shall preach and expound the word to be God's prophet to the people. It's in our book of order. Next one. In the Old Testament, the office of elder was established for the oversight of the church. In the New Testament, this office is continued. 
those who fill this office today for governing the church are called, guess what? Ruling elders. Which, which one is that? Prophet, priest, or king? It's the king. Got it? And then the office of deacon. You deacons know this. From the book of order, quote, The office of deacon as set forth in scripture is one of compassion, concern for needs, and of serving others. Prophet, priest, king. It's a shared leadership model. That said, there's only one head of the church, right? Jesus is his name. Jesus is the prophet. He's, he is literally the word of God. He's the prophet. Listen to him. He is the, our high priest. He is our once and for all atoning sacrifice. And he is our king. The king of kings. Friends, listen, the trials, as we conclude, the trials, the tribulations, and troubles from without and from within our community will never cease. Never! Wah, 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 wah. The wall was finished. You know why? Because we serve an awesome God. And those who fear the Lord and are faithful will rise up and build. He will see his name proclaimed, and by his grace, not our own, we will see his name proclaimed. And we will do so together with our eyes on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the only head of the church, the prophet, the priest, the king of kings, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.